This is Faith Spoon Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith from seeds to spade to spoon. I'm Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis. A little bit of a hoarse voice today, but so excited about our podcast today, and we're so glad that you're listening in. All right. I am so glad to be here with you. I am Jerusalem Greer, the Interim Executive Director of the Proctor Center in the Diocese of Southern Ohio, and I'm actually coming to you from the diocese offices today, um, and I am really excited to be here as well. Um, we've got two guests with us, and um, we're excited to have them. So I'm going to let Bishop Jennifer get us started, and then I'll jump in. Well, I have to begin by introducing Christian Barron, the Reverend Christian Barron, who is a priest now in the Diocese of Indianapolis. He is, I believe, our first repeat guest on Spades Soul, And so we're delighted to welcome him back here. Currently, he is um, serving at St. John's in Crawfordsville, which is in the sort of northwest end of the Diocese of Indianapolis. He and his wife, Jody, who is also a priest, um, are incredible additions to our diocese. And so we're glad that the two of them and their three daughters are here. Um, and Christian is the one who helped me to understand what the order of Necratius is all about and has been on a journey, I think, to make sure I can get out with a fishing rod or some other instrument to go and go hunting. So I can't wait to catch up on all things order of Necratius. So welcome, Christian. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you, Christian. And just reading your bio and listening to Bishop Jennifer talk, I think you and my husband might have been separated at birth. So I'm excited to get to, to be here with you. Um, we also have Sarah Smith. Sarah is a sixth generation Oklahoman. Um, she comes from a long line of Okies dating back to the inception of the state. That's amazing. Um, as a former Arkansan with a border right there in Oklahoma, I know exactly where she's from. Um, she currently serves as the curate at Emmanuel Church in Shawnee, along with heading up Necratius, Oklahoma. She has a theology degree from the University of Notre Dame, Vanderbilt University, and Seminary of the Southwest. Um, and she played left field for the Fighting Irish softball team and has coached both collegiate and high school teams um, and has a master's degree in sports administration from the University of Northern Colorado. So I am guessing that uh, fishing or those sorts of things um you have a unique perspective on it, additionally, just from, from having a sports background. So anyway, glad to have both of you here. Welcome. So I want to, um, we asked, we love to ask this question about where you are rooted. And so Christian, I'm going to ask you because you'll probably have a different answer, maybe, than you did the first time you were on this podcast in episode six. And then I'm also wondering, did you and Sarah meet at the seminary of the Southwest where you did your theological studies? We did not. She, I, I graduated in, when do I graduate? 14. Um, Sarah, when were you? 21? I think 21. And then, 21. but yeah. And so then she was in seminary and uh, she heard about me must be, my name was still on the, the bad Dean's list maybe, or the Dean's bad list. And so she called me up and asked me what was going on. So then we actually, we hunted for the first time in Louisiana um, in February of 21 kind of got things going and then last year we had our our second hunt and then this year we're having our third hunt in march of 23 so yeah it was it was uh dean cynthia kittredge who told me about christian 
And I immediately called him because I kept talking about wild hogs while I was in Austin and seminary. And she was like, you need to talk to Christian. And I said, okay. And so I did. And then I, I asked Cynthia, I said, Hey, if I kill a hog, can I feed it to the seminary for Easter? You know, smoke some hams, make some sausage, some steaks. And she's like, that would be awesome. <laughs> and so we, I got to harvest a hog on our trip that March <clears throat> And I brought it back to seminary along with another one of my seminarian buddies, the Reverend Colin Larimore, who started uh, Necratius West Missouri. And so he helped me smoke those those pigs for for Easter lunch for for the seminary. So that was a very memorable Easter. And Cynthia still gets really excited if you ask her about it. That's so cool. I love that. Oh my okay. gosh! Off we go. Here we go. We're right into it. So for those who did not listen to one of our most listened podcasts, the, the first one Christian was in, um, can you guys talk about what the order of Necratius is and how it kind of dovetails with uh, creation care and kind of the things that we're interested here at Spade Spoon Soul? So one of you could just give us some background on what it is exactly for folks who are brand new. Um, and then, and how do you see it being a part of creation care? You want me to take a stab, Christian? So the Order of Necratius is a community of hunters and anglers around the United States um, in the Episcopal Church that live by a, um, a rule of life. And our, our rule of life um, has to do with three things, prayer, grounding ourselves in prayer, obviously, as Anglicans, so important, and conservation, which is, I think, part of the big part of the creation care part you're talking about. How do we be good stewards of the land? How do we be responsible, responsible and ethical hunters and anglers um, and treat these gifts of God with respect? And then charity, how do we give back to our communities and always sharing the harvest? That's a huge, huge thing. Any events we do, it's like, okay, where are we going to give this, these gifts from God back to God's people? And um, it all, what's fun about it is each context, we have these chapters across the country. They're very contextually focused. So I just did a big deer hunt on our conference center property in Wawoka, Oklahoma. It's never been hunted. There's overrun with deer out there. And I said, well, you know, I asked my Bishop Paulson, I was like, would you let me take a group of hunters out there and manage the property, you know, cull the herd and um, worked with the Oklahoma state wildlife department and to, to come up with a good number for the 500 acres of what would be appropriate. And then that our property sits on um, Seminole Nation reservation land. So I got in touch with the nation and the elders and I said, hey, would you guys want to do this with us? Um, would you want to hunt with us? Would you want to do a little demonstration maybe um, after the hunt and do kind of a group community event, eat together, break bread together. And then we're going to donate all this meat back to Seminole Nation through their food assistant program, the Boys and Girls Club of Seminole Nation, um, and a couple elders who are homebound. So we ended up uh, total on the property, um, killing six deer, which was good. My goal was 10, but, you know, 
Um, six was great. And some other hunters in the community heard what we were doing and donated deer as well. So we ended up, we're giving Seminole Nation 12 animals and that's almost over 400 pounds of meat, clean, organic, free range, salt of the earth, protein to feed people. And you know how food access is such a problem, especially and unfortunately, even in rural Oklahoma, where you would think these native folks, especially a Seminole being a small tribe under resource, they'd have access to hunting and land, but they don't a lot of them. So that, that we can work together. And um, now I'm just getting off on a tangent about what I'm doing, but the order of Gracious in Oklahoma looks a little bit like that. We do some fishing too. Uh, I think, you know, that's the big strength of Christians. He's a big, big angler, whereas I'm a big, big hunter. So our contexts, I think work well for those two different things. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what we're about. That's just a beautiful explanation um, of the ministry and the way in which it's grounded and rooted in a particular place, which I think is really important to me, whether you're farming in a particular landscape or hunting in a particular landscape, it's going to look different. But I have to say, if there were people who could do evangelism around the basics of Christianity and the ways in which you are able to speak about the word of Necratius and to grow it, I think we would have a different church. So just thank you for the way you've explained all of that, Sarah. And I, I would love Christian to tell, you know, you've, it seems like the order has grown um, a bit. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, I, uh, I think it has grown and um, probably has very little to do with me. Um, I probably impeded its growth, but um, yeah, we've got chapters in Texas. Um, actually my, uh, one of my best friends, Rod Clark, he started, uh, he started this with me. And so he's in the diocese of Texas. He lives in McAllen. And he does a lot of hunting, but he does some fishing too now on the Gulf. But um, And then Sarah is really kind of the uh, Diocese of Oklahoma. And I moved here from, I moved to Indianapolis from the Diocese of Western Michigan. And so uh, a lot of the work that I still do um, happens in and around Western Michigan. And a lot of, uh, we, we go and we collect fish at big professional tournaments. We put out our, you know, 10, 160 quart coolers and they, and they fill them and then we process them and usually about four or five or 600 pounds of fillets go to a food bank after all of the, the tournaments, each of the tournaments that we do. So Eastern Michigan has kind of also gotten uh, involved and, you know, they're, they're kind of yoked in a, a special way. Um, and then now uh, the Diocese of Indianapolis, we're, we're, we're hoping to do some more things. And there are a couple, a couple of fellows who, um, have some ideas. And I think next year we'll end up doing some kind of a similar kind of a doe patrol hunt for, uh, in the diocese of Indianapolis. Uh, but there's, as Sarah mentioned, um, diocese of Western Missouri also has some fantastic things going. They do a lot of hunting there, but they also do some fishing. And then, uh, somebody just, uh, uh, a classmate from seminary just moved to central Gulf coast um and uh and he he texted me right away he says uh, i'm moving to central uh actually panhandle of florida and um and we'll be starting some necratious things here so things oh and then john white of course uh is i'm helping him move tomorrow a few of their last things to cincinnati and so then hopefully there'll be some kind of a presence in southern ohio so 
things are growing and expanding and um, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to see. That's really cool. Tell John White to call me. Um, <laughs> we'll see if Proctor can, can be a part of this, uh, which, which could just be amazing. So, um, so we live, for those of you who maybe haven't heard this before. So this is Jerusalem and we live on, um, we live at Proctor Camp and Conference Center now in outside London, Ohio. It's 1300 acres, about 70 of it is wooded. The rest of it is various farmland, lake, et cetera. And before that, we lived on 140 acres in um, rural New Jersey. And before that, we lived on eight acres in central Arkansas. Um, and so we've had various size farms or, or been part of land management in different ways. Um, my husband is a long time, lifelong hunter um, and fisherman. And so is like, that's the family he comes from in central Arkansas. His mother is obsessed with fishing. She loves fishing. Um, and so we have guns like that's just you know it's the kind and so we get into these interesting conversations with folks right especially within the episcopal church um because we are also for responsible gun ownership um in all the ways i'm always like i am happy to register anything i you know like i will write it down wherever um and do all of the things and and that i you know that we believe that we feel convicted about um but i i know this is one of those weird subjects within our church because we're trying so hard to be beloved community. We're trying so hard to live into um, the vows and the commitments we make for our baptismal covenant, right? And we don't always know how to hold the tension of these things um, because it seems the easy answer seems to be like, get rid of all the guns, right? Um, and and then when you manage 1300 acres, there can be instances um, when you're trying to protect other livestock and other things, right? Um, not to mention hunting and what you were talking about, Sarah, and game management and game management is huge. We especially saw that when we lived in New Jersey. So um, that's just my long winded way of asking. Can you all talk about that a little bit? The pushback you get, um, the theology that you have that informs um, how you approach things like gun ownership and hunting and how you make those decisions and, and what advice you would give to others who are kind of closet Episcopal hunters and good, right? Like who are, who are trying to, you know, we want the language to be able to talk about these things. And a lot of times we don't have it. So, so how can you help, help us with that? I'm really passionate about talking about this. I want to back up real quick before I address the guns and say that deer kill more human beings in this country than any animal, first of all. <laughs> so the fear about wolves is ridiculous. That's a whole nother conversation is a reintroduction of wolves. But um, deer would not manage um, kill people on the road. And if we want to have wildlife and appreciate and enjoy seeing these creatures, God's creatures among us, we have to be hunters play an integral role in this process because of the urbanization of our land they get now we've taken up their habitat and they're going to be run over by cars and cause human death, not just animal death in a bad way. So when um, another really important thing is the Robert Robertson Pittman act, which is a federal tax on all firearms, ammunition, hunting equipment, I believe fishing equipment too. any, and like the state of Oklahoma too has a sales tax 
all of the hunting and fishing licenses you buy, a portion of that goes to habitat, wildlife management, state parks. So hunters and anglers literally fund all of the wonderful state and national parks. Okay. So a lot of people don't realize that system that's in place. That's really beautiful that Teddy Roosevelt helped put into motion a long time ago. Um, so anyways, guns. Yeah. I think it's really important to have conversations about responsible gun ownership and what that looks like and killing animals with guns is the most swift way and most ethical way. It's much, much more ethical than hitting with them with a car um, or the myriad of ways they die naturally in the wild, getting eaten by a coyote or a bobcat, right? A wolf. Um, so we are, humans are the biggest predator. And if we don't go out there and act like it, um, the deer will be a, will overpopulate and encroach into the cities and in places that we would like them not to be perhaps like bougie golf courses and, you know, North Oklahoma city. Right. Um, so, you know, but I think the, there's, there's one issue. And when I went to seminary, I asked, um, and I've talked to Cynthia about this and she's stepping away. I know from her role as Dean, but I asked for the policy about firearms because I knew I'd be hunting in Texas and I'd have my firearms with me. Um, I can, you know, I have a concealed carry license in the state of Oklahoma, which um, I I carry um, when I am in the field um, out in rural places and especially when I'm by myself. And that's more so for my encounter with other humans more than it is for animals because most of the wild animals are very, very afraid of human beings. But if I, you know, there's lots of reasons to carry a, a, um, a sidearm out in the wild. Um, but in general, you know, it's good to have policies and to respect those policies. So when I was in, you know, respecting your state policies and whatever institution you're at. So when I was in seminary, I, they sent me the firearm policy. And the first two pages of the policy was shaming gun owners and how I should really rethink my theology and my morals for even having guns in the first place. And so I think when we start from that place of almost like not understanding um, why I would even have them, you know, I think is we got to look at that. And um, obviously I'm a responsible gun owner. I registered my firearms um, with the, with the university. And I, you know, some people don't even go that far. They're like, you know, screw that. Like I'm going to do what I want to don't tread on me type attitude. So we get, you know, it causes these polarities that we don't need and then aren't helpful. And I'd rather have this conversation. And especially when you're in middle America, right. And I'm, I'm a part of the Trinity Wall Street Fellowship Program. And so I'm one of the only priests from middle America. And so when I'm talking about our ministry and our people, we have lots of ex-military and police in our communities. Um, we have a Dawson policy that allows ex-military police and anyone who's updated on their cleat certification to conceal carry in church. And we know, and we've seen 
unfortunately, how um, people have shot up churches, right? Even an Episcopal church. And so some of our churches have, you know, um, undercover or or in their, you know, OKCPD uniforms at church who are our security teams. Um, and so guns are a big reality uh, of our country. And um, I think we need way more education, way more training. You know, my when I got my concealed carry in Oklahoma, it was an eight hour class just about the laws and understanding the laws and an hour on the range. Um, I think that's ridiculous. I think there needs to be more time on the range, understanding your firearms, understanding how to use them properly. And I take courses each year, several times a year to make sure I'm proficient, especially in handguns. Handguns are just way more um, volatile and difficult to use and dangerous. Um, but, you know, I'm a big fan of, I think we need more regulations. I think we need more intensive background checks and training and even like how they do in Canada, they want to know why you have one. <laughs> like, what are you using this for? Right. Um, so I'm definitely not a, you know, obviously I'm a gun owner and I, I want, um, to be able to use guns. They're very helpful tools. Um, and doing something I really care about and really love to help um, be a good steward of God creation and protecting myself. Um, but, you know, even like just how to, there's not even public, many public shooting ranges in the state of Oklahoma, which is crazy. We have an open carry policy here. Like we are very loose with guns in Oklahoma and we don't, you can't even find a place to go train for free which I, we have to change. We have to have more education. We have to have more public ranges where people can go and practice um, instead of polarizing and not talking about it and having these divisive sides. We have to come together and be curious about these things and want to learn more and not, you know, too. And I don't like when I talk about hunting or I'm in rural America also, I don't like that I get stereotyped that I'm a gun-toting conservative. I'm not, you know. Um, I'm an Anglican. I'm an independent. I'm in the middle, right? Like I'm, I try to be a community um, organizer, someone who brings unity to my community. Um, so I don't like these labels we throw each other in, and I don't want guns to be a part of that. Unfortunately, that's what it's become. But I appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things because in a in a, a a way that's based in logic and reasoning and understanding these are these are tools of of destruction. And how do we be so, so responsible, so careful, so respectful, and know what we're doing out there? That's why every time before we hunt, we we bless the hunters, we pray. And we say, God, you know, help us to glorify you and how we act out there and know what we're doing. This isn't a game. It's not a joke. It's very serious. It's sacred, holy time. And um, we need to see these tools as really, really important, but also really dangerous and respect them as such. So I'm sorry I keep talking so much, but. Well, Sarah, I'll thank you. I think we actually... One of the um, challenges we have with the conversation around gun ownership and use is that 
we don't take the time it takes to actually talk about it in ways that get to the levels of nuance necessary. And so as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, here I am, a member of Bishops United Against Gun Violence. And the first conference we had was held in Oklahoma City in 2014. And so, you know, we have the sense that we can, we, particularly in the Episcopal Church, need to have a expansive conversation that helps us to understand how guns and the differences between them operate in places where you have semiotic you know, automatic weapons in the hands of people who don't have licenses, who don't need to have them walking the streets of Indianapolis or Oklahoma City. And then folks who have them because they farm or because they hunt and all of these things. And those are not semi-automatic weapons. They're the kind of weapons used to do the work at hand. And as someone, me, as someone who believes in being a compassionate carnivore, I remember becoming convicted about 15 years ago that the only meat I actually do want to eat is meat that's been raised sustainably and killed ethically, which means, you know, instead of doing the, I mean, which means quick and, um, you know, without undue cognitive suffering of the animal, and then to do it with some gratitude and acknowledgement for what's being given up so that I can have food. So all of that is a long conversation and a, and it takes a long journey to for some to get there but i'm convinced that we cannot change any of the things that are besetting us as problems in our country around gun use until we are able to give it the time and do it's that's necessary because um it's complicated and not because it's hard just because it's varied and there's lots of things to consider and if we as people of faith are not helping to lead the conversation, I wonder who will. And so I will just say this and then love to get Christian's thoughts is that we ought to have a, I mean, who's writing the books on the theology of gun ownership? Like what is the theological framework? Like not just secular ethics, but theological framework for having these conversations and making decisions. And as a kid who grew up in Brooklyn, afraid of guns, because like gangs, Brooklyn, like gunshots every night, in my neighborhood. Now my kid has a badge from the NRA for his marksmanship. He is, he takes rifleries. He's done it for four years now. And he's, he's going to be 13 next week. And he knows exactly what to do with a firearm. And I'm okay with that because I know he's learning about the responsible use of that and understands it for sport and utility. And, um, and he's going to learn that young and hopefully have the ability to have a more nuanced understanding of its place in the world. So thank you for that exposition. And uh, Christian, I would love to have you add anything you might like to add. Yeah, I'll just say, I mean, the, as you both mentioned, right? I mean, our, our, our the current climate in America is we, we refuse to create space for conversation. So, I mean, with the four of us and five of us with Brian in the background, I mean, I'm guessing we have pretty different ideas about this exact topic, even though we're all, you know, Episcopalians. So, um, but for me, um, you know, I, I, uh, I guess I'll say I, the NRA doesn't speak for me, you know, and so I'm not saying the NRA doesn't do anything right or well, but um, for the most part, I just see what, what they do is um, not useful to me and I don't think useful to the country. So 
Um, I usually start off with that when I tell people I'm an Episcopal priest and that I hunt because uh, I don't want them to instantly dismiss dismiss me. And and that's kind of the what we're talking about here is a I, I think hunters need a seat at the table. You know, Episcopalians need a seat at the table to have this conversation, this difficult conversation, because we've we, the rhetoric around guns in America is just uh, off the charts, um, uh, unuseful. So, um, but for folks, for Episcopalians specifically, who, who think, you know, guns should not be a part of this conversation, uh, you know, there, I have nothing to say to that. I, I, I could easily, there are times in my life where I think that's where we need to go. But, um, uh, I don't know that it's the via media that we, we really need to, uh, to find ourselves in. So, um, you know, when, when I talk about this with other people as in an official capacity, I talk about we need to be responsible gun owners and actually Moms Demand Action. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of Moms Demand Action and the Be Smart program. I think um, hunters, uh, I, I love to push this for any of the necratites around the planet. You know, if, if we can be useful to other hunters and other gun owners by just helping them to secure their firearms so that they can be more responsible, uh, that seems like a conversation that we can we can be a part of and be useful in, um, and and still um, feel okay about the way many of us may be left leaning in a lot of areas. And um, this is a way that I think we can speak truth and be useful to to folks that maybe disagree with us on some of those things. You know, the, the other side of the coin then is right is for for meat eaters, just as you said, Bishop is. Um, you have a conundrum if you are if you're a meat eater and you're um, you're on the other side of the the tracks with a of the gun debate, right? So I mean, if you have to kind of measure things out, or am I going to be a meat eater and be responsible, or am I going to um, be a meat eater in irresponsible ways and also be against you know any kind of hunting in general? So. Those are difficult conversations to have, and I, I hope that every single person listening, uh, uh, or that hears hears this conversation, that they wrestle with those things, right? Um, if you if you love those chicken nuggies from McDonald's, you know you got to figure out what you're going to do with uh, with the sacred blood that those chickens had and that you're about to consume. So, um, I think I said this on the last podcast. I probably say it all the time, but you know, as Episcopalians, as as um, Anglicans, as um, sacramental Christians, we talk about blood quite often, don't we? Uh, at least every Sunday, and um, and the sacred blood. And um, uh, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with the sacred blood of of uh, of the Eucharist? Um, how are we going to see that as um, uh, a way to nourish us, as well as the nourishment that comes from any meat that we choose to eat? So. I've said I have, I have two vegetarians in my house, um, mostly because I think that uh, they have fished with their dad a lot and they don't like to see those salmon um, die. And uh, man, I, I fully support that. I cook vegetarian protein almost every day for my kids to go along with my meat. But um, uh, as thoughtful Anglicans, Episcopalians, you got to wrestle with that if, uh, if you're a meat eater. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a wrestling. And 
here at, at Proctor, we raise egg layer chickens, meat lay meat chickens, and meat hogs. And it's a wrestling. I mean, even in our discussions about moving forward and making sure that um, where we're taking the animals, um, you know, when it's, when it's time for them to be processed, because we can't do that um, on the farm because of the regulations here, um, you know, how we choose where, where it goes and, and then what we serve. And it, so there's just, there's so much around that. So talking about eating and um, that sort of thing in your ministry, you have the ministry of taking blessing, breaking and giving, right? Can y'all talk a little bit about that? What that is, what that means to you, um, how that gets lived out. I think we invented that, didn't we? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, of course, you know, the four, <laughs> the fourfold and aphora, right. That we, we, we hear often every Sunday, right? The take, bless, break, give. Um, Jared Howes is a priest in in Texas, and he kind of he stumbled upon this. He says this needs to be kind of your your logo and and how you frame your ministry in a lot of ways. And um, it just makes so much sense. That pattern repeats itself all over the place in creation, right? So as as hunters and anglers, we take right. We come together. We collect the people. We take that protein, right? And we take it in an ethical way, in a, in a, in a way that is sacred and, um, and, and a little bit scary and a little bit, um, a little bit sad as well, right? We, we take that life, we take those things, right? We, um, we bless it, right? We bless those things. We, we, uh, we say a prayer over, uh, before we hunt, before we fish, after we fish, as we fish, as we hunt, um, to thank God for, for the life of these animals, um, which also blesses then all of the people that are going to eat it, right? So we break it, the the messy work of processing fish and processing animals that had that sacred blood coursing through their veins, right? I mean, um, uh, so that's the breaking part and separating it and making it um, um, edible for human consumption, right? Um, take plus break, and then we give it out, right? So um, we didn't invent this either, right? As hunters and anglers have been doing this for a long time, they share, they share what they have, what they have harvested with their neighbors and with their families and with the poor. Um, uh, so that's kind of the take bless, break, give. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, again, it's the modeling of the ways in which um, the order of the precious is like all of what it is and what you do is is grounded in something ancient and resonant with what we are about as um, Anglicans in so many ways. And so um, it's just so thoughtful. And I, I think I heard you use the word necratites. Is that how you say someone who was a member of the order? Did I get that right? That's what I said. I don't know if yeah. that's what we call them. I, I call them that sometimes, <laughs> but yeah. So, um, I, and I know our time is drawing, I mean, my gosh, the there is never enough time for these conversations, but I, I would hate for us to not hear a little bit more about the folks who are the beneficiaries of some of these efforts, you know, the people who are food insecure. And I hearing about, for instance, the Seminole Nation um, and the impact of, of the deer hunt there, but do you have any other stories to share about, share about folks who've been impacted by this ministry? Yeah. I mean, this is the, the deer hunt's been the biggest one we've done. That's um, been the most impactful. 
we've done a fishing retreat the last two years and that's been a little more insular and we've been managing our farm ponds on the the St. Crispin's Camp and Conference Center property, those farm ponds, I had the wildlife department marine biologists come out and survey the ponds and see what are our fish populations like? Are they healthy? What do we need to cull? What species? How big? And so we have an abundance of bass and we needed to cull eight, eight to 12 inch bass, as many as really humanly possible. Those are very, very big farm ponds and way too many bass um so we we had about 50 people each time thanks brian i'll speak to that and we what we did with that in the, in this particular case was we processed all those fish and then we taught people how to how to process the fish first of all a bunch of kids we probably had half the 50 people were kids showing them how to process fish and then how to how to make different dishes so i had a professional chef out there showing them how to make you know, fried fish, baked fish, all the different ways you can cook fish. And we ate it together. So we gave it back to the community that was fishing. But yeah, the hog hunt we've done uh, the last two years on a wonderful um, family's property out in, um, what's that town, Christian? Clinton, Clinton, Louisiana. And we've done different things with the hog meat. I know when Christian was in Michigan, he took a bunch of it to his protein pantry in Michigan. I believe he took four animals, which is from a hog, those hogs, you can yield a lot of meat. The sow in general, I killed two years ago. I got 80 pounds of meat. I mean, that's a, a significant amount of meat. Whereas deer, you'll probably get more like 30 to 40 pounds um, on the size of the animal. But you know, Christian gave out that protein in his small town, you know, off the shores of Lake Michigan within what, two weeks, he gave out, you know, 200 pounds of meat. Um, yeah. And I think each of us took a little bit home to share with our families and our communities. Like I said, I fed the seminary for Easter. I just used maybe a third of that, that sow. Um, and then the rest I, you know, ate myself or shared with friends and family. So we're, we're starting, I'm trying to think more creatively of how to, how to share food um, and getting people like Christian, getting people really into what it takes to process fish or any sort of animal and slowing down to actually want to do that. People we're just so disconnected to, from our food. I mean, even, even the hunters I had out at deer camp at St. Crispin's, they didn't really want to process the animals. I'm like, guys, that's why we're here. So, and I had raised enough money. We could pay for the processing fees from a local processor and build a relationship and help a local business. But like, I'm like, we need to like, take the time, like, come on, we have a meat grinder. We have a gambrel, like in a hog camp, we processed all the animals. And so just getting your hands in, like Christian was saying, into that sacred blood and knowing the cost of what it means to be a meat eater and honoring the animal by doing it yourself and taking the time slowing down. We're in the season of Advent, right? Like we, it is time to slow down and put your hands in the earth and know what things cost, know what things mean. Give these things the reverence that they are due because they are gifts of God. They breathed the life of the spirit within them and 
good Lord, take the two hours to process the damn animal yourself. And um, I'm just really believing that. And I think it does something to you um, doing that. So yeah, we'll see uh, holds, but that's, that's my little shtick. What were you going to say, Christian? I just was going to say that um, if you guys have ever bought salmon from the grocery store, but it is um, it is not inexpensive, right? Um, you can get the canned stuff, which is also not inexpensive. But um, so the fact that we get we get probably five thousand pounds of fillets uh, to different um, food banks and whatnot a year, and um, the fact that some of those folks then will take frozen fish home, and a lot of times that'll be there will be a recipe stapled to it, depending on which food bank it is, or there are places that cook, there's a place in Holland that cooks 363 hot meals a year. And they, they take a big portion of our, uh, the biggest tournament that we have is in Holland, Michigan in July. And they take almost all of that protein and they feed, they feed people every day with it. And, um, one story, my, my cousin Austin, who isn't really big into churchy type things, but, um, he helped me start it in Holland. And then he moved with me actually up, up North to Northwest Michigan. And, um, we went one day, the, one of the days that they were serving the fish that we had caught, and uh, um, it was so um, meaningful to him to see, you know, see how that fish was served. And then he actually saw a classmate from high school that was there, you know, so there was extra, extra meaning for him of who is our neighbor, right? Who Who is this fish going to? And it's, it's people that we know, right? It isn't just kind of this caricature of, of poverty that, um, that we've created in our minds. Um, so it's, it's literally our neighbors. Um, so, and, and the, the people of central Indiana in Crawfordsville, Indiana, you know, they haven't caught a lot of salmon out of the sugar Creek in, in central Indiana, but I think we brought almost 700 pounds of fresh fillets to central Indiana this past year. And so it was gone like within two weeks. I couldn't believe it. They ate it way faster than they eat it in Michigan. So, um, We'll, we'll be providing more. So it's, it's a, it's a special thing. And I love to just wrap it off and then to just kind of imagine, I try not to be controlling, you know, some places have different rules about who can eat and, and who can receive and things like that. But once, once it's out of my hands, I leave it up to those organizations to do that work. So good work. One more thing, if I could, um, there's a nationwide program called hunters for the hungry and you can donate, and pro that usually the wildlife department of each state will have a list of the processors in the state who will accept donations and they will process it for free or maybe like a small, you know, $10 fee and they will distribute it to the local food banks and whatever area you're in. So we also really encourage people to do that if they don't want to process it themselves. That's a wonderful, wonderful program. And um, the other thing that's a, like a big goal of mine um, in the future is we've started a Magdalene house here in Oklahoma city. And, um, I want our, our, I've been really pushing to have our, um, social enterprise, like how Becca and has thistle farms. I want to have a processing facility where the women work at, um, the state of Oklahoma is really pro meat and gives out grants to start processing facilities. I think it'd be so cool to have the women running a processing facility, maybe even a butcher shop and a field to table restaurant in Oklahoma city. And, um, 
we'd give a portion of that meat away. And I want to, I'd love to do domestic and wild, wild game. So. I love that vision so much. And I, 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 um, I have so many more questions and so many things I want to say, but I think we're at our time. And so I think we may have to have a, a third round of this at some point soon, because honestly, there, it really does um, require the time. And um, we've, we have just got going, just got started on this conversation. There's so much more um, to plumb here. And so I think we need, we do need to wrap up. And I know that um, we've got a, you have got a website for Order of Necratious. Where else can people find you and and um, follow along with the things that you are doing out in the world and in the wild? Uh, social media is really where we're at right now. So Necratious Oklahoma on Facebook and on Instagram, we're constantly posting pictures of what our people are up to and what new events are going on for us. So. Yeah, the Order of Necratious, if people Google that right now, the website is under um, Western Michigan. So it's O-N-W-M, Order of Necratious. West Michigan is our website, .org. Um, and I think that has a link to all of the different chapters and their Facebook pages too. So um, I will say that March 6 to 10 is going to be our hog hunt, and we're about halfway to capacity. Um, if folks want to uh, participate in that, it's a fantastic little village that's created in uh, in Louisiana, it's it's really inexpensive compared to a real legit um, professional hog hunt, um, but I'd say quite successful. Um, and you don't even have to hunt. So there's about four or five people that are signed up already that are not even going to hunt. They just want to come and and learn how we have professionals that are going to teach us how to process the animals and do all of that. So it's uh, it's really a fantastic uh, uh, four or five days. Sounds pretty real and legit to me. And um, and we are working on, because I got to get it on my calendar. If the House of Bishops meeting wasn't happening on those dates, I would be there. So um, so thank you both. And we'll put the links to all of these things in the show notes so all of you can find them easily. And if you want to find us from Triple uh, S, which I saw in a license plate recently. I thought someone loves our podcast so much, they put it on their Indiana State license plate, Triple S. But seriously, if you want to find us, go to Spade Spoon Soul on our Facebook page there, or you can email us at spadespoonsoulpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to write us and let us know what else you might want to talk about. Jerusalem? Yeah, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening uh, to Sarah and Christian, this amazing conversation. I agree. We need to do more of this. Um, thanks to Brian Sellers-Peterson, who is our other co-host and our acting producer today, and to Derek Weston, who is our typical producer, um, and to, to all of y'all listening. Well, until next time, we hope that you will find ways to connect your soul to your spade or spoon or both. Take care, everybody. <laughs>